Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start with the Metro Vancouver housing market. Take a quick look at it here. Yeah, kind of softening a little bit here. The Every single layer of government, whether it's federal, municipal, provincial, every politician promising to fix this affordability crisis in housing in Metro Vancouver. Is that possible? Will houses be ever be, will homes ever be affordable in Metro Vancouver, especially for young people? We talk about this a lot. And I was speaking to someone on the weekend about this. And the person said to me, these young people are doing a lot of whining. They can't afford a home. You know, when we were young, we scrimped and we saved. We sacrificed in order to scrape up a down payment, make the mortgage payments. Yeah, we did it. So why can't they do it? Now, I got Ron Butler standing by to discuss. First, have a listen to this here. This is Global News reporter Ann Gaviola. How much income do you need now to afford a home in this city? How long does it take to save up the down payment? Listen to this. A young person making a typical amount of money must now work 17 years across Canada to afford a 20% down payment for an average-priced home. In Metro Vancouver and the greater Toronto area, it takes 27 years. Ottawa, 14 years. It took just five years in the mid-70s. Deputy PM Christian Freeland calls it intergenerational injustice. You know, we had a better shot at buying a home and starting a family than young people today. Okay, so it took five years in the mid-70s to save up the down payment. 27 years now. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Ron Butler. Ron's a mortgage broker, butlermortgage.ca, and I'm always grateful for his time. Ron, thank you for coming on. Well, Mike, thanks for having me. Okay, Ron, so you've got your finger on the pulse of this. Um, Is this market unfair to young buyers, to new buyers here, especially when you start breaking down those numbers? Yeah, it's ridiculously unfair. Let's think about another number. Uh, If you go back 30 years, uh, the average cost of a home was approximately 2.5 to like two and a half times to three and a half times the average family income. We're looking at 10 times now. Like, yeah, <laughs> this this is there's no relationship to reality. I mean, it, it you know, when people talk about, well, I, I had to work hard back in the day. I had to this. I had that. I had high interest rates, too. Hey, folks, you know, there is no escaping the truth of that ratio. You were like you, you could do it. It was two and a half times, three and a half times your income. How do you do 10 times when it takes 27 years to save the down payment? None yeah. of this stuff makes sense. Yeah, no, the math, you start doing the math and and the numbers don't start to add up. Now, I, I still talk to a lot of people, though, who say, well, make, basically making the precise points that you just made. Well, we had a rough, too. You know, like I remember when interest rates were sky high. How how high did interest rates go there at one point in like the 70s and 80s? It was crazy, sure. right? It was. But let's also remember that in those very high interest rate days that was also super high inflation inflation was like 18 19 percent here's the kicker though wages were going up i'll give you an idea uh unionized positions back then in in the late early 80s unionized positions had a four percent per cola per quarter cola wages were going up 16 percent a year 
wages aren't going up 16% a year today. Like I was yeah. there, I was alive, I'm old, okay? Wages <laughs> were keeping up with inflation. That is not true today. Yeah. Speaking of Ron Butler here about our housing market. Now, there is this argument that for people who are fortunate enough to own a home now and maybe sitting on a mountain of equity, that maybe they should pitch in and help out here. So there is this campaign for a home equity tax. So if you have a home valued at a million bucks or more, you could pay an annual equity tax and use that money to build affordable homes for, for young people. I know you've heard this argument, Ron. I'm curious your thoughts on it. Let's listen to Paul Kershaw here, previous guest here. And here he is making the case for that. He says, look, the, these older homeowners, they need to help these younger people. Let's listen. We need our politician not to talk to younger folks who are getting locked out so much, but to talk to older homeowners, baby boomer homeowners in particular, and say, you've got to get off the sidelines and start helping to be part of the solution. Like, you need to get some skin in the game to restore housing affordability for those who follow in your footsteps. Oh, okay. That is your legacy. Okay, Ron, what do you think of this idea, equity tax? Well, you know, in, in, I guess everything's good in theory, but the political ability to do this is non-existent. I mean, you're, 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 the people who vote, the most consistent voters on a municipal, provincial, federal level are people over the age of 60. So the yeah. idea that you're going to target a tax that's just going to make them mad, I yeah. mean, it's, it's not a bad idea, but it's, it has no political possibility. We, we've got to address the things on the supply side. You know, the, the stuff that Dave Eby is doing is great because, you know, we need that upzoning. Like you might find that older people will be willing to get out of their huge home and into a smaller home if it's in the same neighborhood. So if we do the upzoning, if you can build a triplex in a single family neighborhood that's comfortable and nice, and those older people can move there and free up that next lot for greater density. I mean, there's a lot of positive things. I would tell you this, mm. British Columbia compared to the rest of Canada is the leading voice on housing today. And God knows it needs it because it's the most expensive place you can imagine. Yeah, we have had a flurry of housing bills and legislation here, up zoning, dense, uh, force density on municipalities, or at least threatening to force density. So yeah, there is a lot going on here. My guest is Ron Butler, butlermortgage.ca. Ron, did you see that video that Pierre Polyev did, the one that got the millions of views here on housing? Did you watch that? Absolutely. Yeah, let's listen to a part of it here, because I want to hear your, hear your thoughts on this. So this is Polyev in his viral housing video here, and he asks the question, who dealt this mess anyway? Who caused this problem? Listen to what he says here. What do you think is the most expensive thing that goes into a new house in, say, Vancouver? Is it labor? Lumber? Land? Nope. Government. Permit delays? Changing rules? Pricey consultants? Lawyers' fees? Charges? Taxes? etc. Okay, so government is the problem. Ron, are you buying what he's selling here? Well, the you know, there's lots of things in the in the video you can tear apart and question, but you can't question the rise in development fees, the rise in complexity, the amount of time it takes to get a permit. You just can't argue those truths. I mean, if you go back again, 30 years sounds you know, repetitive, but if you look back 30 years, it was so much easier to get a permit. Things were so much simpler. There were no astronomical development fees. It's a long, long list. And, you know, statistically, if you do the analysis, he's not wrong. I mean, about 30% of every new condo is some form of government 
development fee, levy, tax, you name it. Um, that's the end result is yes, it is a major impact on pricing. Okay, so if you bring those prices down, and Polyev has a plan to try and incentivize that to reduce how uh, housing costs, get more permitting going, get more houses built. Every level of government is talking about fixing this. Every politician says it's a top priority. Can it be fixed? Like, what do you think should be job one, Rhonda? Fix this. Well, job one really should be a great big meeting. You know, one of the things that we're up against in this in this horrible housing problem is that. There's provinces that have a ton of power in this area. There's municipalities that can make or break the policy changes. There's the federal government that's controlling immigration and controlling um, most of the mortgage rules in Canada. Interest rates fall under the Bank of Canada. Why, you know, if we could have a huge national conference for, for healthcare, which is very important. Why can't we have a huge national conference, bring the premiers in, bring the big city mayors in, bring the bankers in, bring everybody together. Let's hammer out a unified approach as opposed to BC doing something great and then every other place not doing much at all. Okay, I like, I like it. Ron, thank you for coming on with your thoughts today. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Talk about the state of our healthcare system, especially the state of our hospitals right now. Got BC Conservative MLA Bruce Bandman standing by to discuss. Have a listen to a video he posted on social media. Got a lot of attention here uh, the last few days. Bruce Bandman here describing how he's visiting his daughter in the Abbotsford Hospital. His description of the conditions here and what he heard from the doctors and nurses there too. Have a listen to this. We had patients lined up, not just a couple of patients, but it was literally beds all the way across the hallways. It reminded me of a third world country. I started talking with the doctors and the nurses, and this was the number one concern they had. Everybody agreed the healthcare system is in a free fall and it's in chaos. But they were absolutely petrified that I would use their names to bring forward how bad the conditions were because they feared for retribution and they were, fear, were fearful of retaliation. It's, uh, Bruce Bandman there, MLA with the Conservative Party of British Columbia. He joins me now. Bruce, thank you for coming on today. You're most certainly welcome and uh, Merry Christmas. Thank you, Bruce. Same to you. So your video there that we just played a clip of that got a lot of attention. I'm sorry to hear that your daughter was in the hospital, but I know you've said that she's uh, improving. Can you um, can you go a little further into what you saw in there? Like what, what kind of conditions did you see in the Abbotsford Hospital there? Uh, you know, there was patients lined up the hallway. Um, my daughter was in a twin room um, and patients were using uh, her bathroom, which is fine. I mean, you know that's that that's okay um but the at one point she said that her bathroom was not cleaned for four days and mm. when i was there there was an adult diaper and feces on the floor and you know that happens it's a hospital accidents are going to happen but mm. it took hours and hours and hours to get that cleaned um so something is terribly wrong and the other thing that happened is um you know, she, one of the nurses, when she was complaining about um, 
you know, I can't remember exactly what it was. One of the nurses very kindly said, well, you know, um, if you happen to know your local MLA, perhaps you might want to give them a call asking basically for help. And she laughed and she said, well, as a matter of fact, I know him pretty well. And uh, that that started the conversation where I would come in and uh, staff would quietly come in and just start talking about how bad it was. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about that. And so what did you hear? Like, what did the staff tell you? Oh, they're, they're overworked. I mean, my, my heart goes out to those on the front line and my daughter and I would like to thank staff for the care she got. Um, her case became a case study, but they, they, they bent over backwards to try and figure out what was wrong. But there was also things that went wrong, such as at certain points, um, they had to modify her diet for some of the tests they were going to go on. And then due to the absolute volume, she never got back on solid foods in a timely manner um, because they, 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 you know, they, they just apologized profusely. But the workload was such that they were not able, those types of little things are falling through the cracks. Well, little things falling through a crack become big things falling through a crack, and we start putting people at risk. And my, and they all said, look, we are just overworked. And my question to Dr. Henry and to Adrian Dix is, look, we lost 10,000 healthcare professionals, according to Dr. York Sung, uh, Professor Emeritus and uh, vascular surgeon from UBC. 10,000, either 7,000 were fired because they did not get a vaccination shot and another 3,000 plus took early retirement rather than do it. We're the only province in Canada that has not hired these people back. We have a free fall system going on. Why the heck are we digging our heels in and not hiring these people back? We need them desperately. And in my opinion, this becomes managerial um, malpractice and incompetence. Um, Get these people on the front lines. Speaking to Abbotsford South MLA, Bruce Bandman, and another thing you, you outlined in your video was the doctors and nurses who were speaking to you in confidence, telling you about the concerns they had with the the situation in the Abbotsford Hospital. But as we heard in that clip there, they were afraid of going, they didn't want to go public. They were begging you, don't don't mention my name, because they were worried about retribution. Can you talk a little bit about that? And you think they're, don't we have whistleblower protection here in British Columbia now? Well, if we do, it's not working. And what I and every single one of them kind of looked around and said, are you going to mention my name? And I said, absolutely not. I will. You know, as as soon as you walk out the door, I'm going to forget your name. Now, luckily for me, I'm bad with names anyway. But that's another story. But they were scared to have their name brought forward. Now, so if we have whistleblower protection, it's not working. Uh, because a healthcare professional should should uh, should not be scared. And what I suggest, and what I like to see, and I'm going to work on, is having an open forum where both patients, family of patients, and healthcare professionals can anom- uh, can can anonymously uh, basically tell their stories. And I'll tell you what, since I've done this, my inbox with emails and phone calls has been. Uh, it's just the volume has been quite extraordinary of people sharing their stories of what's happened and what's gone wrong uh, with their loved ones uh, as they've gone through the healthcare system. And it's not just Abbotsford, it is province-wide. Yeah. Province-wide. Yeah. 
Let me ask you about another hot topic right now, and you've been addressing this on your social social medias recently, and that is the no-fault auto insurance system that we have in place in British Columbia right now. And for people who saw their ICBC premiums go down when this was brought in, maybe this is not a top-of-mind issue. I think it does become top-of-mind if someone is seriously injured in, in a crash, and I've talked to a lot of people who have been injured and are not happy with the service they're getting from ICBC. What are your concerns on, on no fault? Well, I was a chiropractor, so I was fairly, you know, I was intimately aware with ICBC with patients. Um, and my problem with no fault is, uh, as John, uh, my leader, John Rustad, has said, um, the soft tissue um, injuries, um, he has no fault uh, or he has no problem keeping that no fault because that created the volume of the issues. Uh, and But when you get into a serious accident, Oh, you better hope that you do not get into a serious accident in British Columbia because the horror stories are now starting to lift up. And here's the problem is that you now have the fox guarding the guarding the hen house. You've got mm. ICBC who's in their best interest and their bottom line to uh, make sure that they come first, not the customer, not the client. And. Mm. You know, and you end up fighting over stupid things like what kind of mattress for your bed or what kind of long-term care, and it's a mess. We believe that you should have have the right in a in a serious accident where there is significant damage to yourself that you should have the right to get a lawyer so that you at least have a fair shake. It acts as that. Um, uh, balance that is desperately needed. It's never a good idea to have an insurance company uh, be the judge and jury. That's just it's it's just ripe for abuse, and okay. we need need to have lawyers back in the game. Okay. Well, we're less than a year out from an election, and it will be interesting to see if that becomes an issue in the campaign. Speaking to con BC Conservative MLA, Bruce Banman. Now, Bruce, you mentioned the leader of the Conservative Party of BC, John Rustad. Of course, both of you guys were former Liberal MLAs. Of course, the Liberals changed their name to BC United. Kevin Falcon, the BC United leader, kicked John Rustad out of the party. He went over and took over the leadership, B.C. Conservatives, and now B.C. politics has been been turned upside down. I mean, we take a look at these opinion polls right now that show the B.C. Conservative Party surging in the polls, overpassing, taking over the Liberal Party, uh, the, now the B.C. United Party. Let me play a clip here for you for your thoughts. So this is your this is your former leader here. OK, this is Kevin Falcon on the show here last week talking about the surge in the B.C. Conservative Party. Listen to him go after John Rustad here, and then I'll get your thoughts. Here's Falcon. By the time the next election rolls around, people will know exactly who BC United is. They'll know exactly what we stand for. They'll see that we've got outstanding candidates that we carefully vet. And I, frankly, there's, I, I don't think there's any scenario in which John Rustad would be uh, remotely ready to uh, step into the position of... Okay, so he says there's no chance Rustad could be, be could be premier here. He says, don't worry, everyone's going to know who BC United is by the time the election rolls around. Bruce Bamman, your thoughts? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I almost thought that was a bit of a comedy hour from Kevin. Uh, uh, you know, I, I let, look. Let's let's be let's be blunt here. Um, okay. Kevin has driven that bus off the cliff. You know, a wise leader would have smoothed out feathers and uh, found a way to after a leadership race because remember john was back in ellis 
and would have found a way of, of getting everybody in the tent. You know, he says he's a big tent. Clearly, he's not. Um, mm. The public are speaking, you know, between the NDP and the Liberals over the last 32 years, they have broken the system and everybody is looking for something new and fresh. Uh, the Conservative Party has common sense and we're that alternative. Um, I, you know, Kevin, uh, what's, what's he going to say? Um, mm. He has he is destroying the party um, single handedly. And, uh, you know, it, it's now a point where people that are worried about splitting the right, a vote for, yeah. the, for the BC United is actually a vote for the NDP. You well, might as well camp your vote in the Conservatives where it belongs because we're truly the only real opposition in the House right now anyway, because well, the NDP and the BC United are kind of the same. Well, David Eby and the NDP, I suspect, are absolutely loving this vote split on the right. I think they are enjoying watching the rise of the Conservative Party here, because if an election was held right now, you'd probably have a big NDP majority. So this is why some people are saying, look, we've got to get the right, the right wing in this province, the centre-right, back together here. We need a merger between BC United and this BC Conservative Party. You guys could get together and call yourselves the United Conservative Party. Perfect name. What do you think of that idea? Because I know there, there's calls for it. Do you think it's possible? We're, we're open to that discussion. Um, be, but, you know, I, I got to be honest. I think Kevin's ego is so big, he won't allow it. Um, but, you know, I, I, it, I, I, we're, are we open to that? We would be open to the sit-down and discussion. Uh, but I think that at the end of the day, the people of this province, you are going to see a drastic change uh, in the political landscape. And um, I think that people are smart enough to realize, you know what, we're going to go with the Conservatives because uh, the other two parties have had their chance. Uh, they've yeah. messed everything up. It's time for it's time for a fresh breath of air and a new fresh party. And that's exactly what the Conservative Party is. Okay, we're watching it closely. Bruce, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Anytime, Mike. All right, we'll talk about one of the major sectors of our economy now, and that is new car sales. Have you ever purchased a brand new vehicle? Were you happy with your purchase, or did you have any buyer's remorse? I'd be very interested in your calls on that. We get into the calls here after the break. How did that new vehicle work out for you? I think I recall, okay, twice in my life I purchased a brand new vehicle. I guess it worked out. It worked out pretty well, I guess, both times. But I'd love to hear your stories on that. Did the vehicle meet your expectations? Did you ever buy a brand new lemon? Let me know on that uh, when we get into some calls here. Also want to talk about the electric vehicle mandate in British Columbia. Yeah, this coming closer, getting closer than you think here. 2035 is the deadline for 100% electric vehicle sales in B.C. Let's discuss now with my guest, Blair Qualley. Blair is the president and CEO, New Car Dealers Association of B.C. Very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Blair, thanks a lot for coming on today. Hey, Mike. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. 
You bet. Thanks a lot for doing it. So I'm very interested in the brand new study that you guys have just released here that takes a look at the economic impact of the new car dealers sector in British Columbia. Blair, let's let's get into some of that here now. How big is this? Uh, how big is the new car dealers sector in BC right now? We're talking billions of dollars here. Yeah, they're you know literally a, a, an economic engine in British Columbia and. and overall generated about 17 billion dollars in uh, retail activity uh in the in the year that uh, was studied in 2022 which is pretty good given there were some challenges with supply and and various other things going on in the economy at the time so you have some pretty big numbers how did covid impact new car sales well i think as you you know many of your listeners would have seen you know the supply was the biggest challenge uh so you know that created all sorts of pressure on price both on the new and used side so uh yeah it was it was a very painful period of time yeah and what's going on with supply right now are we still got the supply chain issues or the computer chip shortage or has that been fixed now well i don't don't think it's fair to say it's fixed but it's doing much better than it was i think we're we're seeing you know dealer lots uh, filling back up with inventory of vehicles now and and the chip shortage continues to be a bit of a challenge but again uh, manufacturers are, are finding their ways through that Speaking of Blair Qualley, New Car Dealers Association of BC, got a bit of a tricky economy here right now. Some indications people cutting back on their their holiday spending this year. Inflation a problem. How is how is the new car, the new vehicle sector doing in British Columbia right now in terms of overall sales? You guys slowing slowing down? Well, it's it's you know it's softened a bit, but you know yeah. speaking to dealers, uh, you know they're feeling quite optimistic uh, you know especially as we're seeing uh, bank of canada seem to be holding on in- interest rates and that is i think uh, making most consumers feel a little calmer uh, and and more optimistic about the future and willing to you know if you need a vehicle changed if you've got problems with your car and you need something new or a new truck uh, you know you've got to go and do something about that and and folks are are coming out to see the dealers what are the hot What are the hot vehicles out there right now, Blair? Like, if you take a look at um, light duty trucks and other vehicles, what are the hot vehicles right now? Are people going for EVs? Or like, are EVs still going up? Yeah, well, I, I was just actually on a call with some government folks just before this, where they were quoting twenty two percent. Now is the uh, percentage of new vehicle sales in the province that are electric vehicles. So that's pretty wow. strong. But uh, you're also seeing, you know, folks, uh, pickup trucks continue to be a, a leading vehicle in, in the choice of uh, most consumers in British Columbia. That and, you know, sort of the smaller crossover vehicles, smaller SUVs, uh, but uh, kind of the, the soccer mom family vehicle that uh, a lot of folks uh, make use of these days. Okay, I know that the pickup trucks like a Ford F-150 still super popular vehicle throughout the province here. When you take a look at that uptick in the number of electric vehicles being sold, are you selling more electric trucks? Like I was taking a look at the Ford F-150 Lightning. It looks like a pretty cool vehicle here. Expensive, but looks pretty nice. Are you selling? Like are people buying electric trucks? Oh, there, there's always customers for, for those vehicles. I, I think, you know, affordability remains the big question at the moment for lots of folks around uh, considering an electric vehicle. As you noted, they're, you know, 
new technology is expensive and and so they're pricey that's one of the reasons that government instituted a, a rebate program to help bridge that gap in price between electric vehicles and and their gas equivalents uh, but yeah i mean some of these new pickup trucks are pretty expensive and may not be suitable for uh, for some folks yeah, and in terms of those rebates, where are we at with the rebates? Is, are there, is there any indication or fear that government will start scaling back these rebates or cancelling any of them? Well, I, you know, the, the, the messaging from the current government is uh, they're, you know, 100% behind the rebates. They now have structure with BC Hydro. BC Hydro sells the credits that they generate, generating electricity. Uh, they sell those in the open international market and generate funds which now help fund the rebate program. So that's a good sort of stable source of funding for that. Uh, but as you know, uh, next year's election year in this province, and uh, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll see how that all settles out. Yeah, for sure. Speaking to Blair Qualley, New Car Dealers Association of BC. Blair, let's talk about these EV targets here now. So 2035, now the official deadline in British Columbia to go 100% electric vehicle sales, 2035. Boy, I think that is sooner than people realize, and I don't know if it's possible to hit these targets. Very interested in your thoughts on this. Let's listen to the Prime Minister here on it, because the federal government has the same deadline, 2035, 100% EV, EV sales. There are interim targets as well. Let's listen to Justin Trudeau here talking about it. We're moving forward with specific targets of 20% electric vehicles for all new sales uh, in, uh, in 2026, 60% by 2030, and 100% by 2035. And with the kind of demand and the kind of solutions being brought forward by the auto industry, uh, it, would surprise, it wouldn't surprise me for us to reach some of those targets ahead of time. Okay, so he actually thinks we could get to 100% electric vehicle sales even earlier than 2035. Blair Qualley, what do you think of this? Is this possible? Well, our message uh, to both the provincial government and federal government is, you know, like, we're, we're going at this a little too far too fast. Um, yeah. You know, everybody uh, supports the idea of having targets to work towards. But, you know, the reality is, you know, affordability is an issue. Range anxiety is an issue. The availability of vehicles is an issue. All of these things uh, make it, you know, problematic for uh, BC consumers and perhaps Canadian consumers as well uh, to, you know, meet these kinds of aggressive targets. Uh, we're going to continue to work. Uh, you know, we've had good dialogue with the provincial government and the minister on on this, and and I think there's an understanding that. There needs to be some flexibility and flexible pathways built into the regulations that will now uh, be constructed on all of this uh, legislation. So we're going to continue to work with government to see if we can find a way to help keep the transition underway, but to uh, have some more realistic targets. Yeah, and I, I've talked to a lot of experts who feel similarly to you on this, and, and I wonder if you have any concerns about the negative impacts of something like this if, if government sticks to these deadlines like could this actually drive up the cost of of these vehicles because right now there are talks about fines like fines that would be levied on automakers if they don't meet these targets 
And if you're going to fine the automakers here for not selling enough electric vehicles, doesn't that drive the cost of the vehicles up? I mean, they've got to absorb that those costs somehow, don't they? Yeah, no, absolutely, uh, Mike. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're we're you're talking, you know, about twenty thousand dollars a vehicle in terms of penalties if you're outside of those uh, ratios, those targets that government has set. So, you know, clearly a manufacturer is going to, you know, not want to crank up the price of a, an electric vehicle by an additional twenty thousand dollars, let alone a, a gas vehicle by twenty thousand dollars. So I think what we're going to see is, uh, you know, manufacturers exploring, and we've already heard from some of them that they may have to restrict the amount of gas vehicles that they sell into the province just to make these arbitrary targets. And that uh, will create all sorts of problems in vehicle supply, which, as in COVID, we saw if the supply is tightened up, prices of new and used vehicles are going to go through the roof. So, uh, you know, if we're all talking about affordability uh, and, and British Columbians, uh, you know, trying to keep, <laughs> keep moving, uh, we're going to have yeah. all sorts of problems coming at us. Right. And then you talked about some of the other factors here when people are considering getting into an electric vehicle. I mean, range anxiety. Do we have enough electricity being generated in the province to charge up all these vehicles? The number of charging stations available in the province, which I think is inadequate right now. I've talked to people who live in condos or apartment buildings who say, like, we've got... I live in an old building, and we've got. You're not allowed to put in a charging station where where I park. I mean, there are lots of barriers here. Are you hearing those concerns too? Especially in the, I imagine, in the regions of the province, like the north, the interior. I mean, are people there really going to be buying electric, driving around in electric vehicles? Well, we we survey our members all the time around what they're hearing from their customers on electric vehicles and. All of those issues, Mike, are ones that uh, that come back to the dealers uh, from their customers, worrying about, you know, aside from pricing concerns, where am I going to charge my vehicle? Yeah, I live in a condo building, and you know, trying to get that charging available there, or, you know, I've gone out to charge my car somewhere, or I've heard a story of somebody trying to charge their vehicle and the station wasn't working. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. old infrastructure now that needs to be upgraded, and we need just way, way more of it. So uh, all of these issues, and, and you, you mentioned in northern British Columbia, you know, range is a huge issue. Temperature is a big issue, and its impact on, on battery, of, you know, range. So, yeah, no, all of these are, are issues that consumers are talking to our dealers about all the time. Okay, we're following it closely. Thanks a lot for coming on to talk about it today. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.